0: So we are coming now to one of the highlights of the day, uh, to one of our one-on-one discussions on the critical topic of global energy markets in transition. And I would like to thank uh, Jim Syrenza, uh Managing Director of DNB Markets, not only for being our partner in this conference, but also for uh, bringing in Martin Houston, uh, the Vice Chairman of the Lurian. Uh, to do this very in-depth and insightful discussion. So I would like to say thank you to both for being with us. And uh, I will turn it over to Jim. And Martin, thank you again for, uh, for being with us uh, and sharing your unique insight on the topic.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. And it is my pleasure to introduce Martin Houston. Um, he got his master's degree at the Imperial College in London in petroleum geology, spent 32 years with BG Group, which ultimately was acquired by Shell, served as the chief operating officer, served on the board of directors, served on the board of directors of a number of institutions and companies, both within the energy industry and outside of the energy industry. For the past four plus years, he has been the vice chairman of Tellurian. And He has been involved in creating a remarkable percentage of the LNG infrastructure around the globe over these past 36 years. Um, I also appreciate the fact that I find him to be one of the most interesting voices in the energy industry. So Martin, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Jim. Energy demand. We'll recover. This is a blip. But oil demand, have we seen the peak? And what's your view?
2: Okay, well, it's a, you know, it's a big question, Jim, as you well know, and a lot of people are giving their opinions on it. Um, I think my short answer is no. Uh, and I realize that I, I'm separating from the herd, which maybe politically is saying the answer is yes. But I think in some ways it doesn't really matter whether we've seen the peak or not. I think you know, it could be a long plateau and that may have the same impact as to whether it's the peak, uh, you know, cl- plus or minus. So the, the plateau is as important, I think, as the moment. Um, look, we've seen a, obviously a remarkable year and um, you know, in particular this massive drop in demand that we saw earlier in 2020 and the big question mark as to how much of that actually recovered. Um, you know, we're probably eight percent to ten percent down on last year. The question is, but when does that bounce back? Um, and you know, whilst you know we're inclined to this mantra of peak demand, in the midst of the energy transition, in the midst of the low carbon conversation, in the midst of this inf- enormous pressure on the energy industry, um, you know, because of who we are and what we produce and what we do. You know, it's easy to forget that, you know, non-OECD demand represented about half the demand in 2019 and yet with four times the population. So, you know, you have to look at this through a global lens, not just through our, you know, slightly skewed OECD, G20, developed nation lens. This is a global issue. And we have to look at the demand across the globe and not just uh, in the countries that we, you know, we measure supply and demand perhaps more accurately. I mean, let's just take a couple of stats. I mean, China's compounded average growth rate of demand increase for the last decade has been 5%. India, exactly the same, 5% compounded average growth rate over a decade. And China and India make up 20% of global uh, demand with 35% of the world's population. The US is another 20% of global oil demand with less than 5% of the world's population. So these statistics when you start to pull them apart and you know rebuild them and reposition them tells you that you know it's not so straightforward to think about it just through the lens of North America or Europe or you know perhaps South Asia where you might be listening from. Uh, Although if you're in South Asia, it's going to be pretty late right now. Um, and then look at the barrel. You know, how's the barrel broken up? You know, 50% plus or minus is, is road transport. 30%, you know, is distillate heavy machinery. 11% jet fuel. 13% other products. 13% is in a set of, uh, demand which is in growing. Plastics. Plastics in the developed world. Um, so You know, as we look at demand in the non, again, non-developed, non-OCD, you know, we can see that actually there are credible reasons why demand should be growing or at least staying, you know, at the same kind of levels we saw pre-COVID. I think the big question, though, is when does it get back to the pre-COVID levels? Because the short term, which is what you're dying to ask me and we, we talked about a few minutes ago, you know, the short term is driven, you know, in part by that demand recovery not so much whether that demand is sustainable for five more years, what's going to happen, you know, for the next five months, you know, as we get to the end of the season, as we get to budgeting for 2021, you know, for those of us sitting on energy company boards, thinking about what the, the price is going to be for the budget uh, for next year. That's the important question. And that's driven in part by this demand recovery, as well as of course, you know, the big supply side, which of course is another matter entirely as we look at uh, inventory overhang, OPEC cuts, you know, whether OPEC relaxes those in the upcoming meeting and so on. So, you know, you asked me about peak oil demand, they gave you an answer on on the demand side, but I think when you start mixing in the supply side and ask the all important question, what's the oil forecast for the next 12 months so that I could get my budget right or get my hedging right? That's a very difficult question indeed
1: let's let 's shift to what you see as the role for global gas and for global LNG going forward, and this obviously is right up your uh, expertise of thirty uh, something years
2: forty one um,
1: <laughs> who 's counting
2: yeah, scary number um, look, I think the, the almost by contrast, Jim, I think the outlook for natural gas and therefore LNG is is really strong, and I can be much more. Um, you know, much more bullish about the uh, those numbers. Um, the LNG trade, for instance, you know, you probably have it in your mind that it's been a pretty bad year. We've had low prices, low spot prices. You're probably thinking, yeah, things have moved backwards. It's gone up 3% year on year. Now, who would have thought that in the middle of seven months of, you know, COVID economics? Um, the IEA's moved up its uh, global gas demand. Um, uh, and, you know, Fatih Barol yesterday was was talking about this steady recovery since June. So we've, you know, there's a lot more positive news and positive impetus. And I think, you know, in terms of gas demand recovery, and I'm talking about total gas demand, not just LNG. You know, I think we can say that's very comfortably within the early parts of 2021. So it's not the same as oil by any means. So, you know, th- this notion that, that we have two entirely different um, fuel sets here is, is entirely right. These are completely decoupled. They only get coupled when we artificially price one commodity, LNG, against another commodity oil because we used to do it in the past, you know, which, which creates this, um, you know, this sort of linkage which, which doesn't belong here anymore, of course, it's certainly in my view. Um, 20% up, um, in India year-on-year year in LNG, 8% up year-on-year year in China. These are big numbers. You know, this is, these are September numbers, by the way. Um, and then if we look on the supply side, okay, so I'm telling you the demand side is growing, even in the worst of years that we can all imagine. Um, 213 million tonnes of LNG projects have been delayed. So what does that tell you? You know, that starts to build this picture that the gap Is closing and the tightness will return. You know, we we can play games as to whether that's in 23 or 24 or 25 or wherever we like to pitch it, but the, you know, the gap is, you know, is closing. You know, and the cycle begins once again as it always has done in this industry. Um, So, you know, one shouldn't be looking at the, the global gas or the LNG lens with quite the same bearish outlook that I've given you in you know, many conversations over the year uh, and continue to do so today for oil, gas is very different in my view. And LNG, you know, particularly within gas is growing as a multiple of, of global gas as well. So I hope that sort of separates those two commodities. On the one side, a very bearish outlook for oil in my view, and on the other hand, a very bullish outlook for natural gas and for LNG in particular.
1: And if you had to think about when we might see a peak in LNG demand within a five year span, you know, how far out do you think that is?
2: You know, I I might just throw up a slide here if I can. If if, if the technology doesn't elude me here, Jim, I'm going to uh, just pop up a slide here, um, which may just give you a sort of, let me try this, just bear with me one second. Um, here we go. So, I mean, look at this, um, you know, look at the capacity needed uh, on, on different growth rates here. And, uh, you know, what that says Jim, is I'm not giving you an exact answer. I'm giving you a continuum and why is that a continuum? Because you know the topic of this conversation is, is to some degree about the energy transition and how, the, government, you know, how the, the markets are changing. And what this tells you is in graphical form, gas, LNG are natural partners to renewables through the energy transition. The last hydrocarbon standing is an expression I like to use. And so what I see is actually continued growth uh, and a sustainable growth for, you know, for gas through the period, um, you know, which is really LNG in all its, to all its sense and purposes. Uh, you know, a great outlook in my view. Um, and, you know, I hope this picture sort of, um, you know, gives you some color around that.
1: Excellent. We've seen the U.S. bear the brunt of the LNG supply curtailments during this uh, COVID crisis. How do you see the outlook for the Henry Hub price, the US LNG price?
2: Yeah. Okay, so this is a really interesting question, Jim. I mean, I think if you want something topical, um, I think this is, is, is an area where we just ought to take a, a you know, good look at. Um, the, just bear with me. I'm going to play with the technology again here. Um, the US has been able in the past to, to balance the market. Um, And in COVID, what we saw is that a lot of the brunt of the supply taken off the grid uh, as demand naturally fell during COVID was from the United States. That is now recovering. Just hold that thought. That is coming back. You know, the the decrements of cargoes loading out of the US that we saw in the middle months of this year, that we're not going to see that in the fourth quarter. We're going to be recovering much closer to... Uh, productive capacity coming out of the United States. That's an important fact to keep in your mind, because what that tells you is demand for Henry Hub, or for gas, is going up. It, you know, in, real, in relative terms, it's going up to where we are today, important uh, data points. Um, the, the US, as we look forward, has got a huge resource of low-cost gas. What do I mean by low-cost? You know, 50, 50 years at less than three bucks. You know, and and it's accessible. It's in a you know OECD country with rule of law, um, and you know a place where it's very you know energy projects are much easier to execute. You know, US LNG projects are you know compared to my universe of LNG projects I've worked on in my career. This is a pretty simple place in which to build LNG projects. So um, that's another data point. Next data point the. 20% of global LNG supply uh, comes from the United States and growing. Okay, one-fifth and growing. Important data points. In other words, just put mix all that together a little bit. What happens at Henry Hub is impacting on a global scale. This is not a domestic Henry Hub, US LNG exports question. It's a question of what Henry Hub is doing to the global LNG markets, okay? So that correlation, we've talked about it, a no correlation uh, from a commodity perspective from oil and gas, but I'm building a correlation between the Henry Hub prices and global LNG prices because of the impacts of the Henry Hub price itself on a large producer of a large amount of LNG on the global scale. That is important. So, when we go to another set of slides, which I'm just gonna pull up, and so just bear with me while I play with this technology, Um, and see if we can uh, get these slides uh, to come up. Right, prepare for higher Henry Hub prices. Sorry, I didn't share that screen with you, did I? Just bear with me. Uh, I'm multitasking here, Jim. That's fine. Okay. Title of the slide, prepare for higher Henry of prices. Gas rigs are down to 73 from a peak in 2019 of 202. First point, we're not drilling as many gas wells as we were. Second, decline rates of gas production in the United States, a BCF, just over a BCF uh, a month, a month of decline of production. Expected shortfall by 2021 of this year 10 BCF a day. I've just told you LNG is pulling another five these back into the system. We've got a decline from the supply decline, and we hope to now haven't had a price signal that has allowed the expensive basins to come back in. Gas rigs are down. The lag time from gas rigs on to gas rigs back up to producing is is. Minimum six months, even if they were put on today. We're looking down the barrel of three and a half dollars We're potentially looking down the barrel of four dollars. We might even be looking down the barrel of five dollars. Now what that does for um, You know what that does for the the current model, you know the Henry hub plus model the commodity is starting to impact a large piece of global energy supply because Henry Hub has been driven up. So existing LNG production from the United States is going to become more expensive, which is gonna have an impact on global pricing. It's not happening now because what I've just talked about is prospective rather than uh, you know, looking backwards. Um, so the, you know, I can see that we've got three minutes left, Jim. So this, is, this speaks to the new model of LNG. And this is really what it's all about. The cost plus model, You know, a, a bit of advertising for Driftwood and Tellurian here. We're 350 on the water because we're integrated. We own the resource, we're manufacturing at the lowest cost on the planet, 350 in the boats, no volatility, low cost, long-term LNG, supplying what is needed to the developing economies we've talked about for the energy transition that was the basis of this set piece that you and I have been talking about. I'll stop there.
1: Okay, so let's look at Asian prices. So we can measure J- Japan-Korea LNG prices. And in fact, your, your, your email every evening uh, comes out with that data point if, if someone at home doesn't have a Bloomberg screen. But where do you think the Japan-Korea LNG price moves based on your, your view of Henry Hub?
2: You know, it's only going one way and it's going north. I mean you're already seeing it in the, in the forward curve. You're seeing Henry Hub reflected in the hub price on Cal 21 and that's pushing north every month. You, you know you track that from the, daily, the Tellurian Daily Note. Look at what's happening to JKM. What I'm telling you is, is prospective. Once Henry Hub starts to nudge you know beyond north of three to 350 to four then you will see the impact and it will it'll start to show up in the forward curve. Prices are going north. This is the time for low-cost LNG, integrated projects in the United States. This is the moment.
1: So we've got one minute for my last question, but I, I, I think I know the answer already. If, we, if your first chart, don't go put it up again, if your first chart, if we don't succeed on being on that path, on that line, is it because the demand came up short or we, we, we failed to produce enough?
2: I think, well, first of all, I never, you know, I'm not going to speculate on failure, Jim. I'm, you know, that would be a foolish thing for me to do. But yes. I, I think, you know, it's a matter of supply meeting the demand. I mean, I'm quite sure about the demand. And on the supply side, we've seen, you know, there's a lot of projects which have been pushed backwards. We are, you know, we need some FIDs. Uh, but we need low-cost low FID to deliver the low-cost solution if we're going to partner with renewables. I'm, you know, I'm segging into energy transition stuff here, but if gas is to be the long-term partner, it has to be low-cost, it has to be competitive, it has to continue to push coal off the agenda. And we can do it. And the United States is a hugely important part and role to play in that.
1: Perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate you joining us this, uh, today.
2: Jim, it's been a pleasure as always. Lovely to talk to you. Nicholas, thank you very much indeed.
0: Thank you to both of you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Jim, for being a great partner in this conference. And uh, Martin, of course, uh, thank you for your unique and tremendous insight. Thank you very much.